I want to welcome you here, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome to all of you, hundreds and hundreds of people that are watching online right now. Blessings to you, and uh, glad, you're, glad you're here. Now, uh, everybody, we put some notes in there, and I'm primarily talking to those of you here for the first time. You can pull those out, and all the verses I'm going to look at are in here, where they're going to come up on the jumbotrons, and this is just kind of a way for you to kind of track where I'm going, take some notes, you can go back later and look at it, or you can take it and use it to start your fire with. Uh, you can use this however you want, but it's for you. And I, I have the feeling that maybe the, the Lord is going to speak to you. Um, this is the second of uh, Big Valley Grace's six Easter gatherings, um, and we're glad that you're here. Last hour was really great. Just had a great time in here worshiping the Lord. Met a lot of, a lot of new people. Just unbelievable. The the, the the you know friends that I get to meet of yours. The Bible says this in Psalms 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And beloved, I want you to know that this is one of my goals. As the, the pastor of this great church, I want people to come here for whatever reason to taste the, the Lord. I want them to somehow see the, the Lord. I want those of you that are here tonight, whether this is your first time, second time, or you've been here for decades, I, I want you to taste the Lord because if you taste the Lord, I guarantee that you're going to see that he's good. I guarantee it because he is good. But, but here's the sad thing. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste is the denomination of that church. Or all they taste is a religion. Or all they taste is a bunch of rules and regulations. They, they, they taste, you know, a list of do's and don'ts, especially the don'ts, legalism. And, um, which is why, in my opinion, so many people want nothing to do with Jesus. You see, here's the deal. I'm not, I, I want you to understand. You, you can come here and taste Big Valley Grace. I'm not putting down a denomination. You can taste our bands or our orchestras or our children's ministries, or our preaching, and you can go, wow, you know, that's pretty good. You, you, you might even come back again. You might come back for weeks, maybe months. Maybe you'll come back for, for a long time. But here's the bottom line. At some moment, um, if that's all you're tasting, you'll get tired of it. You'll get tired of it. You see, the whole goal, the whole purpose behind Big Valley Grace is that we would come together and that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. I hope you like the orchestra. I hope you like the band or whatever or the, you know, the children's ministries or whatever it is we do. I hope you like it all. But if somehow you don't taste the Lord... Then, then I've really fumbled as the pastor of this church. Because that's the most important thing, is that you somehow taste the Lord. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I've come in order that you might have life. That's why Jesus came, that, that you would have life. And not just any kind of life, but a, a life in all of its fullness. Now, he didn't say, I've come that you might have a religion. Thank God. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a set of rules and regulations that you have to live by. 
I've come that, you know, you'd have a set of do's and don'ts, you know, especially the don'ts that you need to, you know, stick up on your refrigerator and, and live by. He didn't say, I've, I've come to give you more things to do in your life. Jesus said, I've, I've come to give you an abundant life. I've come to give you a life full of meaning and purpose, a, a life that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever throughout all of eternity. That's what Jesus said. This is the, the Jesus I want you to know. This is the Jesus I want you to taste or see. And nothing gives you a greater taste of how great and awesome Jesus is like the resurrection. Like what we're celebrating this weekend, nothing. So let's jump right into this, okay? Did you know that the very first sermon ever preached in the church, not this church, I'm talking about the church, when the church was birthed 2,000 years ago, did you know that the very first sermon that was ever preached was a sermon on the resurrection? It was an Easter message. Listen to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, okay? This is the very first sermon ever preached in what we know of as the church. Peter said, listen to these words, fellow Israelites. Jesus of Nazareth was a, a man whose divine authority was clearly proven to you by all the miracles and the wonders which God performed through him. You yourselves know this, for it happened right here among you. In accordance with his own plan, God had already decided that Jesus would be handed over to you and, and you'd kill him by letting sinful men crucify him. But God raised him from death, setting him free from its power because it was impossible that death should hold him prisoner. Beloved, that was the very first sermon ever preached. Obviously, it's an Easter message. In fact, the resurrection is, is, is found throughout the entire New Testament. In the book of Romans, Christ was raised from the dead, and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him. In 1 Corinthians, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, and we know that God will also raise us with Jesus. In Galatians, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. In Philippians, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. In Colossians, for you were buried with Christ and you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. In Thessalonians, we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, so because of him, God will raise with Jesus those who have died. 
In 1 Peter, through Christ you have come to trust God and you have placed your faith and hope in God. Why? Why have we placed our trust and hope in God? Because he raised Christ from the dead. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Beloved, as you read through the Bible, you cannot miss the theme of the resurrection. It is everywhere. In fact, if you come here on any given weekend, somewhere in one of the songs, in one of the prayers, in something I'm going to say, uh, communion, it could be baptism, it could be whatever, usually we're going to say something about the resurrection because it is central to all that we believe as, as Christians. That's why we make such a, a big deal about a weekend like this here at Big Valley Grace. Now, most of us here believe this. We believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. But I also know that there are some of you here that are struggling with this whole idea. I know that there are some of you here and you're thinking to yourself, dude, are you out of your mind? How could anybody really believe that? I mean, it's impossible for somebody to conquer death. And the reason why I know some of you are thinking that is because I used to think that. When I was younger, I, you know, somebody would always invite me, maybe like somebody invited you here to Big Valley Grace, but they'd invite me to church, and I'd go down to uh, First Baptist, and uh, Bill Yeager, the preacher, would preach, or I'd be at uh, Modesto Covenant, and back in those days, it was Bill Nortelfer. I, I, I'd hear these guys preach, and I used to just sit out there, and, you know, they'd talk about Jesus, you know, has, you know risen from the grave, and I'd think, man... These people are nuts. How can you really believe that somebody rose from the grave? But I'd sit there, you know, quietly, kindly, just like many of you are doing. You're here, but, but you really don't want to be here. I know you don't. And how I know that is I went out and looked at all the entrances in, and I could see skid marks <laughs> all the way in, man. <laughs> right? Uh, I used to leave skid marks out at First Baptist and all these places, you know, as I was drug in by, by somebody, usually a, a pretty girl. Uh, anything to get the girl. Look, here's the deal. I want you to know you're, you're in pretty good company. Listen to what um, the first disciples thought of this moment. All of the, the gals had gone to the tomb. And they looked in and they saw that Jesus wasn't there. And it says this in Luke chapter 24. When they came back from the tomb, when the gals who, who saw that Jesus wasn't there came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven the disciples, and all the others. It, the gals are Mary Magdalene, Joanne, Mary, the mother of James, and the others were with him who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. <laughs> it was nonsense. I, I used to think the same, I used to think, man, that's nonsense. Some of you are here and you're going, man, it, it's nonsense. And I want you to know it was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. 
until Jesus walked out of that tomb. For three days, it was absolute nonsense. I'm sure these disciples thought, man, these gals are just nuts. They're crazy. It might be some of the thoughts that you have about someone like me, who's the pastor of a church like this. They're nuts. They're crazy. Listen, those guys all thought it was nuts until they saw the, the risen Savior. Here's the deal. Everybody agrees that Jesus was a, a real person. It's an undeniable fact. We all know that Jesus, you know, wasn't a phantom or some kind of floating spirit. We all know that Jesus was a real man. He was a, a real man with a, a real name. He was a, a real man from a real town, the town of Nazareth. He was a, a man that had a real job. He was a, a carpenter. Nobody ever denies that Jesus was a real person because it's undeniable. In fact, nobody denies that Jesus died on a cross because that's also undeniable. It's when you get to the resurrection of Jesus that people begin to squirm. People begin to, uh, to struggle or whatever. But what if it's true? What if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened? Well, what would the implications be of it? What if right now, Jesus was standing up here with me right now in flesh, flesh and blood. He was up here right now. What would that prove? I mean, you couldn't deny that, that he was risen. Here, he's standing right here. So what, right? What does it prove? What are the implications for, for, for your life here in Stanislaus County, right, in 2014? Okay, so he's standing here. So he's alive. Big deal, pastor. What does it prove? Well, that's what I want to deal with. And for those of you that might struggle, just for the next 30 minutes, just tune in for a second. And, and when I'm done, if you think I'm nuts, great. You can leave and go have a nice dinner and all that kind of stuff, and you don't have to worry about this till Christmas, right? Because <laughs> it's always Christmas and Easter, someone invites you to, to, to church. Every six months, you're, you're good. But who knows? Maybe God would, would do something in your life. Last hour, four o'clock, a lot of people entered into this place thinking it was nonsense. But something happened. And maybe that might be the case with you. Maybe. Maybe not. But the worst case scenario is you blew an hour and a half of your life. But at least you'll know what we believe every time you drive by here. At least you'll kind of know, where, 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 you know what people you know, here at Big Valley Grace believe. So here, here's, here's the first question. Okay, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ prove? What, what does Easter prove? Well, I'm going to give you two quick thoughts here. Number one, the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That's one of the things that the resurrection proves. In John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I and the Father are one. I 
and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, hey, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Hey, guys, you want to kill me? Which miracle was it? What miracle is it that you're going to kill me over? Hey, you've heard me teach all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, messages. What, what, what message? What is it about me that wants you, you know, making you want to want to kill me? We're not stoning you for any of these. We're not stoning you for the miracles you did. Yeah, we saw the miracles. We've heard you preach. That's not why we're going to stone you. But for blasphemy, blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. John chapter 5 says this, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. That's Jesus. For he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, therefore making himself equal with God. (laughs) Beloved, there's no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God or equal with God. We see it throughout Scripture. The Bible's crystal clear on this, which really isn't that big of a deal when you think about it. I mean, there have been a lot of people throughout the, the years who have claimed to be God. A lot of people. In fact, about a month ago, I was at uh, Starbucks at Barnes & Noble, and a guy came up to me claiming to be God. He told me he was God. You've probably seen him there. Maybe you've been there, and he came up and told you that he was God. I'm God. It's not that weird or that big of a deal for somebody to claim that they're God. Any of you could do it. The issue is, how do you prove it? If you claim to be God, like that guy did a month ago, how do you, how do you prove it? Well, one sure way would be this. Coming back from the dead? That'd be a pretty good way. In fact, that'd be a fantastic way to let everybody know I'm way different. I've claimed to be God. In fact, people have wanted to kill me, Jesus said. They wanted to kill me because I've claimed to be God. Nobody believes me. Well, when he walked out of that tomb, that said something, didn't it? Listen, here's the deal. Death is more powerful than any of us in this room. It's more powerful than anybody that's ever lived. None of us in this room will escape the clutches of death. It claims 100% of the people 100% of the time. Unless you're God, right? Because if you're God... How could death have any grip on you? Beloved, the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb proves that he's more powerful than death. And there's been nobody on planet Earth ever more powerful than death. Nobody. Jesus walked out of that tomb. It proves exactly who he said he was, and that's God. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
Nobody will get to the Father except through me. Nobody's going to be in heaven unless they make an appointment with me. That's how you get there. That's what Jesus said. I, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not saying that. Jesus said the only way anybody will ever get to heaven to be with the Father is through him. And I want you to know, that's a pretty outrageous claim. Jesus said, I'm the way to heaven. He didn't say I'm one of many ways or I'm a pretty good way. He said, no, I'm it. And he's either who he said he was or he's a nutcase. People who say, well, I don't really believe that Jesus was God, but I just think he was a really great teacher. <laughs> Look, good teachers don't go, hey, kids, I want you to know, I'm, I'm God. If you have a teacher, if your kids have a teacher who claims to be God, get him out of there in a hurry. <laughs> Not only. If I ever stood up here and said, folks, I want you to know, the only way you're ever going to get to heaven is through me. Dude, get out of here. Go find another church. I'm not a good teacher. I'm, I'm, I'm evil. Beloved, according to Jesus, all roads don't lead to heaven. Only one does, and that's him. And the reason he could make such an outrageous claim is because he was God in human form, which he proved when he walked out of the tomb three days after he'd been crucified. Now, the second thing the resurrection proves is this, and it proves a lot of things. I only have time for a couple. The resurrection proves that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, all power, this is what Jesus says, all power, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. Whoa. Another outrageous statement to make. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I have the power, all power to lay it down, and I have the power, all power to take it up again. Look, people argue over who killed Jesus, you know. Some people say the Jews killed Jesus. Some people say the Romans killed Jesus. Look, neither one of them killed Jesus. Jesus voluntarily went to that cross. He laid down his own life. Jesus had the power to do whatever it is he wanted to do because he had all power. The Romans had some power. The Jews had some power. You have some power. I have some power. The president has some power. But Jesus has all the power that's in heaven and on the earth. That's how powerful he is. Beloved, throughout Jesus' life here on planet earth, he showed people just how powerful he was. He turned water into wine. He fed thousands of people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He, he healed lame people. He healed blind people. He walked on water. He cast demons out of people. He, he raised the, the dead. Beloved, one of the, the reasons so many people were following Jesus was because they saw the power he had. But there was no greater demonstration of his power than when he walked out of that grave three days later. 
In Matthew chapter 27, we're told that they rolled this huge stone in front of the entrance of Jesus's tomb. It, it took a bunch of soldiers to do it. It was a, a massive stone. Then they permanently sealed it with a, a Roman seal that it, so that it could never be broken. Then they posted guards, Roman soldiers, really the Navy SEALs of, of their day outside the tomb because the religious leaders and the Romans were really worried that somehow somebody would steal the body and then they'd claim that you know, Jesus had been resurrected. Beloved, they didn't want that stone moving. They used all the power that they had to make sure that stone wasn't moving. Soldiers, seals, all the stuff. They used their power to pull that off. The problem is they didn't have all power. They had some. And they used it. But when your power comes up against the all-powerful one, there's no match, is there? And so that stone was, was rolled away, and Jesus walked out of it. The ultimate proof that Jesus had the, the power he claimed to have. So here's the, the second big question and probably the, the, the most important question. Why does the, the resurrection matter? Why, why does it matter? What difference does it make? So what if Jesus is who he claimed to be? So what? So what, Jesus has you know, all the power. You know, big deal. I, I, I'm a single mother gutting it out with my three kids, living in an apartment just trying to make ends meet, right? So what? I'm a small business owner, man, just trying to make payroll next month. And I don't know whether I'm going to make it or not. So, so, so what? He's got all the power in, the, you know, in heaven and on earth. You're a, you're a college student, you know, and you're in your second year at Stan State, and you're just going, so what? So, what are the implications for my life? Big deal. Let me give you three thoughts real, real quick. Maybe only one. Because of the resurrection, your, your past can be dealt with. Your past sin can be forgiven. That's one of the implications for your life. Whether you're young or old, single, married, divorced, I don't care what you are. I don't care. Wherever you're at in your life, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your past sin can be forgiven. In Acts chapter 5, it says, you killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross, but God, the God of our ancestors, raised Jesus up from the dead. Jesus is the one whom God raised to be on his right side as leader and as savior. Through him, all people could change their hearts and lives and have their sins forgiven. Through who? Through me? No, because I don't have all power. Through you? No, because you don't have any power. It's through Jesus. Your sins could be forgiven. All your past sins could be forgiven because of Jesus. See, all of us have a huge problem, and that problem is sin, right? We've all done things that we know are wrong. We've all said things that we know are wrong. We've all thought things that we know are wrong, right? All of us. The Bible calls this sin, and sin brings with it regrets and guilt, right? 
I mean, we've all done things or said things that we regret or we feel guilty about, all of us. If every one of you were honest, you can all think of those moments. And for some, there are many moments throughout each day, right? Where you do something and you go, oh man, why'd I do that? Why'd I say that? That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that to my spouse or my kids or whatever. Or you, or you actually do something that you know was wrong and oh, you regrets and the guilt that all comes with all of that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's something that we all have in common in here. I'm not pointing my finger at you. We all have this problem. Proverbs chapter 20 says, who can say, I've kept my heart pure. I'm clean and without sin. (laughs) The answer is nobody. Nobody. It's impossible. All of us. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve blew God off, it brought sin into the world and we've all been impacted because of sin. Sin messed up all of our lives and it brought with it guilt and shame and regret and ultimately death, separation from God. But because God loved us so much, he came up with a solution to our problem of sin and that was Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter said? Through Jesus, all people could change their hearts and lives and have their sins forgiven. Now, why Jesus? Because he's God. That's why it had to be Jesus. That's why Jesus could say, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody's going to get to the Father but through me. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, he took upon himself all of your sin. And when they put Jesus into that tomb, he took all of your sin into that tomb. And three days later, when he walked out of that tomb, he left your sin in the tomb. And now he made it possible for you to spend your eternity with him forever. Beloved, if Jesus doesn't walk out of that tomb, we're all doomed because we'd all be stuck with our sins and the penalty that comes with it, spiritual death. But he did walk out of the tomb. And all we have to do is have our sins forgiven to ask, you know, to have our sins forgiven is to ask Jesus to come into our lives. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I know if you were honest, every soul in here, I don't care whether you believe in God or not, you may not call it sin, that's a Bible word, but all of us, if we were honest, would say, man, I've blown it. I've done things that have stirred up my conscience. I know I've done things that were wrong, they were evil, they were wicked, I felt bad about it. The Bible just calls those things sin. We claim that we don't have any sin. We're just deceiving ourselves. And by the way, there are some people like that out there. But, G, but, but the Bible goes on and says, but if we confess our sins, if we're honest about our lives, and we're honest about the fact that we've blown it, that we've said things and done things that we know are wrong, things that don't measure up to God's standards, he'll forgive us of our sins. And he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's important, and here's why. Heaven's a perfect place. It's an absolute perfect place. There's no sin in heaven. It's perfect. So if God were to let me up there, 
<laughs> with all my sin, uh, immediately it wouldn't be perfect anymore, would it? And then if you let you up there, and then you up there, or you let all of us up there, it would take about, uh, let's say, three minutes, and heaven would be as screwed up as earth is. And earth is screwed up. Just read your Modesto B on any given day. You can see just how evil and wicked this planet is. So it would be kind of pointless for God to take a bunch of people like us and bring us up into heaven, because we'd pollute it in a nanosecond. It's our sin that pollutes heaven. There's no way he can do that, but he loves us. He cares about us. And so what he did was say, look, if you'd invite my son into your life, if you'd confess your sins to me, invite my son into your life, I'll forgive you of your sin. I like to think of that verse right there, by the way, 1 John chapter 1 is the Etch-a-Sketch verse. We've all had one of these, right? Seen one? You know, you can write all kinds of stuff on it. And then you go like this. Okay. It's blank again. You see, here's the deal. We all have these etched sketches with all our sin on them. For me, before I gave my life to Christ and confessed my sins to him, it had taken, I don't know, there's not enough etched sketches in the world to handle all my sin. There were a lot of them. Some worse than others. Some of those sins were thoughts. Some of those sins were actually deeds. Some of those th sins were words. Some of them were more evil or wicked than others. Sound familiar? <laughs> but there came a moment when my etch-a-sketch was filled with my sin, and I said, Jesus, would you come into my life? I confess my sin to you. I recognize who you are. You're God, and you died for me, and you walked out of that grave. And Jesus went like this. There you go, Rick. Done. And he just erased all the sin in my life. Oh, is it still there? Yeah, yeah. But God doesn't see it anymore. This is what God sees. Now, I, I'm very acquainted with my sin. Some of you are. But this is what God sees. And this is what's important. Because if God sees a blank slate, no sin, guess what? Come on up. You can be in my heaven. Come on up here, Rick. I want you here. here, here here's the deal. Because of the resurrection, your past sins can be forgiven. I can stop there, but let me give you a couple thoughts real, real quick. N number two, because of the resurrection, your present problems. I I've been doing this here at Big Valley Grace for 30 years. One of the things I know about people, we all got problems, don't we? But because of the resurrection, your present problems can be handled. Ephesians chapter 1 says, I pray also that you will have greater understanding in your heart so that you will know the hope to which he has called us and that you will know how rich and glorious are the blessings God has promised his holy people and you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. That power is the same as the great strength God used to raise Christ from the dead. Now listen to me. Yes, your past sins can be forgiven. When you invite Jesus into your life, 
your past sins are, are forgiven. But let me tell you something, there's another beautiful aspect to having a relationship with Jesus, is that you now have the power you need to handle the problems that come into your life today. You see, you were never meant to live in this life just on your own power. It was always God's intention that we as humans would be in relationship with him, which means we would always be able to tap into his power. But when sin entered into the world, when Adam and Eve blew it, and sin now became a part of the world, that separated us from God, which separated us from God's power, which meant that we were kind of on our own. We no longer had the power that raised Jesus from the dead to help us through the daily things of life. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ because he's who, who gives me the strength. I love what Bethany Miller said in her testimony. She said, life swallowed me. Boy, I can relate to that. Life can swallow us, huh? Being single is not easy at times. Life swallows you. Being married, man, it can be tough. Life swallows you. Being a parent, life can swallow you. Being, being a business owner, life can swallow you. Man, Jesus said in this life you're going to have troubles. Life at times can swallow us. But when you have Jesus Christ in your life, guess what? You now have the power you need to, to, to face the problems that life throws at you. See, being a believer isn't, you know, just that my sins are forgiven. Woohoo, that's a great thing. But I'm still alive today, right? I mean, you're gutting it out today, and when you invite Jesus in your life, he comes into your life, and yes, he cleanses you of your sin, but he also then, you know, makes available to you his power to overcome whatever all those things are. And, and, and number three, because of the resurrection, um, your future can be secure. See, we talked about your past, all the sins, right? Invite Jesus into your life. He cleanses you of all of your sin. Now you have the power of Christ in you to, for, to help you through the present, right? But there's a future. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And I want to come back to that, that what, I said, what I said a little bit earlier. We're all going to die, right? It's in our future. Death is in your future. It might be because of cancer or a heart attack or some disease, a violent crime, some freak accident, you know, a car accident. It could be poison, old age or whatever. I don't know what it'll be, but look around. Listen to me, next year, the chances are pretty good some of you aren't going to be in this room. You'll have taken your last breath. I've done this for 30 years here. Every Easter, there's always somebody who ain't here. You know what we do the last weekend of the year here at Big Valley Grace? We do a memorial. We put pictures up of all of those members of our church that took their last breath. Just remember them. Good people who did great things here at the church, helped build the church, worked in a Sunday school. And there's, there's this one. And it's always amazing to me when I see that video. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about it. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. that's weird. Ooh. You might be on it. I'm going to be on it someday.
Death is in our future. It's lurking. Someone once said that death is the great equalizer in life. You see, it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter, you know, what country you live in. Everybody dies. <laughs> death really is the great equalizer in life. It's going to happen. That's in your future. Yes, receiving Christ deals with your past sins. Yes, you have Christ's power to help you through today. But also knowing Christ secures your future, you see. Solomon said this, the wisest man that ever lived said, you know, death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Death is the destiny of every man, and, and the living, those of us that are here, we need to take it to heart. And when you get to a weekend like, you know, this weekend, Easter weekend, there's no better time to think about your eternal destiny, your future, really. Because that's what this weekend's all about. We're all going to die, and Jesus said, look, I had the power over death. You invite me into your, your life, and guess what? You got my power. Death will have no victory over you either. That's a pretty good thing. I was getting my coffee uh, today on my way here earlier before the four o'clock gathering. And I'm in, you know, Barnes and Noble, Starbucks over there, and I had my cable was kind of hanging down, and I always put it on at home, and these two college-age kids come up, and they go, hey, what's that, what's that thing hanging down from your pants there? And I go, oh, it goes up to a microphone. I, and, and when I don't want to talk with somebody... I always tell them I'm the pastor of the church. They kind of back away slowly. If I want to have a conversation, you know, I'll make something up. But I, I was on my way here, and so I said, oh, I'm the pastor at Big Valley Grace, thinking that'll work. It didn't work. One of the guys says, really? You're like one of those Christians, big weekend, right? Easter weekend, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, let me tell you something. Jesus was all about love. I said, yeah, there's no doubt about that. You got that right. He said, ah, there's no such thing as hell. Jesus never talked about hell. And I said, young man, have, have you read the Bible? Oh, yeah. I said, well, hey, hold on. So we, I said, follow me. So we went around the corner, because I didn't have my Bible in there with me, and we went around, and in the corner of Barnes & Noble, there's a whole rack of Bibles. And I said, come on, guys. And so we went over there, and I, I said, hey, I want you to find, you know, this passage. And it was Matthew chapter 7. And he was, <laughs> and I said, give me the Bible. So I, 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 got there, I got there pretty quick, you know. And I said, I, I, let's just read these words from Jesus. And I said, how we know they're from Jesus is, look, they're in red. <laughs> got to be him, right? And this is what Matthew chapter 7 says. This is Jesus talking. He said, the gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And many people enter through that gate. But the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life, eternal life, life with the Father. Remember that life he came to give us? But only a few people find that road. Those are some weighty words. By the way, I shut the Bible, stuck it back up on the shelf, and I gave the guys a couple of tickets to the weekend here. Maybe you're here today. I hope you are. Um, and so I got to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Jesus said, there's a road, there's a way that leads to hell. And he said, you know what? Most people are on that road. It's a fun road to be on. Living in sin is a fun thing. I'm not one of these preachers who'll tell you, hey, sin is no fun. <laughs> are you kidding me? You show me a preacher who'll tell you sin's no fun, and I'll show you a preacher that had a crummy adolescence. <laughs> sin, sin can be a blast. Are you kidding me? The problem is, is that there comes a moment when you've got to write out the check. You've got to pay for it. And that's always more than anybody has in their checkbook. And then Jesus said, you know what? The road that leads to life, the life that I came to give you, it's narrow. Not a lot of people get on that road. A lot of people last hour did. And I'm going to give you a chance right now to maybe go from that wide road to that narrow road. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, shouldn't perish on that wide road that ends up in hell, but would have everlasting life, that find that narrow road that few people get on that leads to this incredible place called heaven. Look, I don't care what your background is. You may be Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, Mormon, you know, Buddhist or Baptist. I don't care what your background is. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to change your life and the direction of your life. He wants to forgive you of all your past sins. He wants to, wants to help you manage the, the problems you have today. And he wants to help you get on the narrow road that leads to a, a great future. That's what Easter's all about. And that's the Jesus I want you to taste. I don't care whether you like me or not. I don't care whether you like how I talk, my hair, my clothes. I don't care. Get all that behind you. I don't care. I don't like orchestras. I don't like what dancing is dumb. I don't care whether you like any of that. I just want you to taste the Jesus that I'm talking about right now. Because he walked out of that tomb for everybody. For you, for me. And I just believe that, some, that God was talking to some of you. So do me a favor. Just close your eyes for just one moment. Just close your eyes. I know we're a little late, but just close your eyes. And I just believe someone's here. One soul's here who's going, man, I think I get this thing. I think I understand what Easter's all about. I understand why everything has to go through Jesus. He was God, and he proved it when he walked out of the tomb. He has all the power. He has the power to forgive me of my sins. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know I have his power to help me through today, and I want to know that when I take my last breath, I'm going to heaven. If you've never given your, your, your life to Christ and you want to right now, the Holy Spirit's drawing you right now, and you know you need to, just pray this prayer with me. Just say it quietly in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I get it. I want you in my life. I receive you into my life. I accept you into my life. I realize you're God, and I'm not. Come in and forgive me of my sin. I want your power to help me through each day. I want to know that my my future secure. Now, if you're here and you prayed that, everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed kind of thing. I, I want to know. I want to rejoice with you. 
And so if you prayed that just a second ago, like a bunch of people did last hour, just raise your hand. Let let me see your hand. Or make sure, yeah, oh man, a whole bunch of you. Make make sure I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. I'm changing something up. Here's the deal. There there were a lot of you. There were a lot of you. And I know for most of you, you get it. There's a small percentage of you. Yeah, you had a goosebump and you're feeling something, but it ain't really real. I get it. I've done this a long time. But some of you got it. You got it. You know it's genuine. And this is what I want everybody to do who, who raised their hands. I want you to take that card right now. Just take that card, and I want you to put a star on it. Right now, just take that card. Everybody's got their card out because you're going to pass them all in a minute. So everybody's got their card. They're a little connect card. We handed them out earlier. You signed it. filled them out later, earlier. Put a star up in the corner. And say, and that tells me, hey, I want you to know, Pastor, I prayed and I invited Christ into my life. And here's the deal. I'll get those cards. I'll get them before I leave here today, tonight. Just like I got last hour's cards. And I'll take them home with me and I want to rejoice with you and I want to pray for you and I, I want to be excited for what God's doing in your life. I, I, I promise you I'm not going to show up at your door <laughs> with an offering basket. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that. But I, I do want to rejoice and I, I want to send you maybe an email or something, or if you don't have an email address, I'll send you something in the mail just so hip, hip, hooray, and let you know I got it and I'm praying for you. But I also want to invite you to the follow class. If, if, if this was a genuine thing, I want you to know something. That follow class that you see in your book, your little program, you need to call the church and say, I want to be a part of that. It starts in a couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, and I lead it. And it's really different. You know, we just hang out together, we get to know one another, we answer questions. It's seven weeks. And it's one of the funnest things that I, I do around here. So everybody pass those cards in right now. Everybody pass them in, pass them in, pass them in. I'm going to ask the host and the hostesses to come, and they're going to pick those up. They're going to pick those up, okay? Let's do that right now. Everybody pick, pick those things up, all right? Now, one last thing. Whoo, this next thing's going to take some courage. Everybody stand up. Here's the deal. We're going to sing a song. That's how we're going to end it. Now, if... You raised your hand and you said, I want to know the Lord. I want to meet you. I want you to give me five minutes of your life right outside these doors. Last hour, there was a whole bunch of people. Take five minutes. If you came with somebody, lean over to them and say, hey, listen, man, I don't know about you, but I put a star in the corner. I need you to go with me. I'm too afraid. I don't know what that guy's going to do. All right, just, just <laughs> bring it. Five minutes right outside the door. And, and I just want to talk to you. Give me five minutes of your life. If it was truly genuine, and you truly gave your life to Christ, and you understand the significance of this moment, you'll give me, you'll give me five minutes of your life. Maybe you're here, and man, you've just kind of gotten away from the Lord, and you're just going, man, I'm lost, man. I gave my life to Christ 20 years ago, and I've just gotten off track. Why don't you meet me down here? Let me talk with you. Let me, let me give you a, a thought or, or six. Just five minutes of your life. 